Welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Well, what an absolute pleasure it is again to be with you this morning. Good morning to you and welcome to this Saturday, March 9, right here in the Bozone. I appreciate your tuning in today. We have quite a bit to talk about, and I hope you will enjoy the program. Some other interesting information has to do with digestive health. And I thought, you know, this is very, very interesting, in my opinion, because digestion is something we all deal with, sometimes even two or three times a week, or excuse me, a day, <laughs> not a week, you know, some people three times a week, of course. But in general, digestion is something we're trying to accomplish every day, and we eat, and we hope to digest and absorb. And I have spent several health pearls on this topic on a weekly basis, hoping to tickle your interest in that as well, these one-minute commercials I play, and hopefully you're learning something from that. For those of you who would sometimes like to go to Facebook and get these uh, these bits of information, you can do so by going to the Gesundheit Nutrition Center Facebook page, and then you can sign up for that. We uh, will we'll be glad to share that with you. You will also get information then about upcoming shows or what will be on that week, and so you will be up to date on a on a quicker basis. Now, I want to let you know, for those of you tuning in for the very first time, it's always possible. Thank you for listening. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway, a program about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. That's what the word Gesundheit means, good health. And we hope that we tickle your interest with topics ranging from the spiritual to the mental, emotional, and the physical Usually, I have guests in the studio who share their knowledge, their expertise, their their passion for healthy health-related topics. Want to keep in mind that we're here to inform, educate, and hopefully entertain. It's not our purpose to feel, make you feel we are trying to diagnose, treat, or cure. But lots of information is available for you to research and for you to apply directly on a daily basis, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, and decades to come in your own life. And you will be very surprised to see what the success can actually be. It is changes are happening sometimes very quickly. You will even hear today in some of the articles about the microbiome in our intestines that some of these issues that you have suffered with from a long time could actually be done in one simple treatment. So I really appreciate you with me today on the program. If you like to chime in with something that we are that I bring up, then by all means feel free. 5228255522 talk. So let me uh, since I'm solo, I have to take a sip. I can't have anybody talk for me and then take a sip. That's really good. That's really good. Okie dokie. So there was a an article in the Wellbeing Journal that was actually published in January, February 2017. So it's two years old. 
but it has to do with the vagus nerve. Now, many of you may not have heard about that. It is very interesting, and I thought I want to share this article with you and give you some insights about why we possibly may have problems in our gut. And the gut, as far as I'm concerned, goes all the way from the stomach all the way down to the anus. And so that's quite a long stretch. And for some people, that has been a battle. And you want to be able to understand what some of the research is, is explaining. So hopefully you stay with me. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. I, I definitely enjoyed reading about this. It's called, uh, the article is written by Shannon McRae. She is a PhD. She is a person who is, let me read you what she does. She is a, a psychologist, nutritionist, and a medical intuitive who practices primarily via telephone and Skype with clients worldwide. Her book, The Healing Effects, of Energy Medicine, Memoirs of a Medical Intuitive, is available at different booksellers nationwide. Also available in German. So it's called Digestive Health, The Role of the Vagus Nerve, and Vagus is spelled V-A-G-U-S, not V-E-G-A-S. That's whole complete different. That may give you the willy-nillies, but Vagus is V-A-G-U-S. U.S. nerve and inflammation, GERD, SIBO, that stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and gastroparesis. She says, as awareness about the importance of nutrition and health continues to increase, the subject of digestion is of special interest to healthcare professionals and, of course, those who are having challenges. Not only does a digestive problem often bring pain and discomfort, it can also compromise the absorption of nutrients. Those of my clients who are experiencing digestive difficulties have often been treated by conventional physicians but have not had the kind of results they need for optimal well-being. As a psychologist and nutritionist, using medical intuition to help clients, I see each person's unique challenges from many different angles. It is interesting to discover how digestive difficulties arise in the first place. Their cause may not be what you would expect. I know my clients are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the number of people who suffer with digestive disorders from which they have found no permanent relief. However, resolution can be sometimes very simple. So again, this is really for many of us who have issues with digestion. And I think for many people that expresses itself in either IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, into colitis, into diarrhea, constipation, gas bloating, uh, just irregular bowel movements, and just feeling very uncomfortable in the lower region of your body. So let's talk about the vagus nerve. It is an interesting uh, thing that uh, let's start with, with this first. Let's start with the key digestive factor that may surprise many readers, the vagus nerve. This nerve carries messages from your brain, which is the electromagnetic receiver of your conscious mind. So it, it carries, the nerve carries messages from your brain to your organs, signaling them to rest 
or to get ready for action. It plays a significant role in whether or not your body stays in homeostasis and is completely compliant with messages from your brain and vulnerable to inflammation from negative thoughts and feelings. It is also affected by inflammation from other sources such as food and drink. What is the vagus nerve? Christopher Berglund writes in his excellent article, The Neurobiology of Grace Under Pressure, that the vagus nerve has multiple branches that diverge from two thick stems rooted in the cerebellum and the brainstem that wander to the lowest viscera of your abdomen, touching your heart and most major organs along the way. So you can visualize it as a tree with branches. So kind of upside down. So the brain is, if you look at the picture that he drew up, it looks like a root system on the bottom and then a trunk going up kind of in a wave. And then you have the brain that looks like the leaves or the foliage. And so the uh, very, very nice, but it's kind of upside down. So the brain then comes down and it has all these tentacles, root systems that go all the way down to the bottom where the uh, all the way down to the anus, so to say. So they call it the visceral part of the viscera, the viscera of your brain and all the way down to the bottom. When people say, so the vagus nerve is constantly sending sensory information about the state of the body's organs upstream to your brain. In fact, 80 to 90% of the nerve fibers in the vagus nerve are dedicated to communicating the state of your viscera up to your brain. When people say, trust your gut, They are in many ways saying, trust your vagus nerve. Visceral feelings and gut instincts are literally emotional intuitions transferred up to your brain via the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is completely responsive to your thoughts and emotions, and it is the commander of your parasympathetic nervous system. Activating the the vagus nerve tends to slow you down after stressful situations, using neurotransmitters to lower your heart rate and blood pressure and help your organs function harmoniously. Sometimes when you are under stress or when you worry or feel anxious because of events outside your control, an underactive vagus nerve, underactive, can lead to such responses as an upset stomach. Under repeated stress, gastroparesis, or partially paralyzed stomach muscles can result. The most common symptoms with gastroparesis are a feeling of fullness after eating only a small amount, nausea, and gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, as well as pain, abdominal bloating, and even lack of appetite. So that's really interesting. So when the vagus is working fine, It is able, when you get under stress, to slow down the breathing, to slow down the heart rate, to calm you down. When the vagus nerve is underactive, not functioning properly, what happens is we will actually deal with this disharmony. The body is showing you problems where the vagus nerves touches. Let's call it that way. So your heart rate goes up, your stomach gets upset, Your intestines may cause problems. 
You could have gastroesophageal reflux disorder or GERD, but you know, with that, we also have to be careful that we don't drink too much liquid or any liquid while we eat or before we eat or after we eat, but we've talked about it in the past. <clears throat> so, uh, let me see here. Paresis can also affect your pyloric sphincter. So paresis, or so the weakening, the partially paralysis stomach muscles, can also affect your pyloric sphincter. Your pyloric sphincter is the connection all the way at the bottom of your sphincter, of your stomach, I mean, the bottom of your stomach, where your stomach moves into the small intestine, which is called the duodenum. So we have the, the duodenum, the jejunum, and the ileum, which make up the small intestines. The duodenum, in my explanation, even though it is part of the small intestine, I usually call it a separate organ because it is full with enzymes, where once it hits the jejunum, jejunum and the ileum, it starts having more bacteria and yeast in order to process the final parts of the food. So the sphincter is between the stomach, bottom of the stomach, and the duodenum. In the duodenum, food that comes out of the stomach is going to be mixed with enzymes from the pancreas, which help to break down proteins into amino acids, fats into usable fats, and carbohydrates into sugars. Those are the enzymes from the pancreas. Then there is bile coming in, which is processed through the gallbladder and the liver, and that will enter the duodenum as well to help in this whole process. So just want to let you know. Now, when the pyloric sphincter is not working, you can imagine what a mess it becomes because you want the gate to open, let the food from the stomach go into the duodenum, shut the gate, and don't give it a chance to come back up. Some people who have a weak sphincter muscle have an issue with uh, the pyloric sphincter specifically, have an issue with indigestion, not understanding what it is. They often go to their physician who puts them on proton pump inhibitors or tells them to try some Prilosec or Prevacid, but that may not be the problem. And before the problem actually will get discovered, many, many, many people have gone through all kinds of treatments, all kinds of medications, all stuff that doesn't work. Sometimes we have seen that people actually, because of all the wrong diagnosis and the wrong medications, end up with cancer of the pyloric sphincter, cancer of the duodenum or the stomach, and it's, it's a mess. It's a big mess. So whatever we can do to avoid all this, that's one thing we're going to talk about today. Now, we have rich, fo rich foods or large amounts of fiber from fruits and vegetables may also bring on symptoms. So that's really interesting because we're told that we should eat lots of fruits and vegetables and that we need to have a high fiber diet. Over here, it says um, bring, that actually rich foods or large amounts of fiber from fruits and vegetables may also bring on symptoms. Researchers also think there is a link between high blood glucose levels and gastroparesis because sugars can damage the vagus nerve. Also, multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease can play a role in gastroparesis. Again, gastroparesis is where your stomach muscles get weak 
and are not able to work the food and digest it correctly. Here is what I would recommend for anyone experiencing symptoms of gastroparesis, as well as many other digestive challenges. Start breathing deeply. By breathing in and exhaling more slowly and deliberately, you will activate your vagus nerve in several ways, including through the mechanism of the exhaling action on your diaphragm, which will move and stimulate the nerve and relax the muscles in your entire torso, including the digestive system. So, this is Shannon McRae, PhD, who says that what she feels when people get totally anxious and feel that the vagus nerve is hyperactive and could weaken and can affect heart and digestive system along the way, the way it is put together, she says, breathe. Stand still, find a moment, inhale slowly, exhale slowly with force. Really strongly exhale and deliberately. She says, you will activate your vagus nerve in several ways, including through the mechanism of the exhaling action on your diaphragm. And of course, the diaphragm is the area at the bottom of your esophagus, where the esophagus opens and then opens into the stomach. That's where the diaphragm is. Regarding diet, there are several things to do if you are experiencing digestive discomfort. First, and perhaps the easiest, is to change your eating habits slightly. I suggest to my clients that they try these things. Number one, eat smaller meals more often during the day. Well, that's an interesting one. And I'm not saying it is not good. This is 2017 when the article was written. I kind of look at it and I say, what often happens when we eat small meals all the time, we are actually untraining the whole digestive system because it's constantly on the alert because new food is coming. And I think personally that we have to get more to a two or three meal diet every day, but to make sure that the diet is giving us enough nutrients and proteins and fats and fruits and vegetables and fibers that we feel so satisfied, we do not feel like, um, what do you call it, uh, snacking between meals. So if you can do that, if you can control yourself that way, that, in my opinion, would be the best way to go, um, in my opinion. So let me see here. Chew food well and do not swallow until it is completely in a a paste-like or almost liquid state. Perhaps puree your food, but be careful of certain vegetables such as broccoli as they are very high in fiber they may be difficult to digest until your system is functioning wholly again. Number three, stop drinking sugary and carbonated liquids. Well, to me, it's more than just that. It also, you got to be careful when you eat that you don't drink or that you sip uh, only. Uh, eat nuts only with digestive enzymes. That's an interesting one because digestive enzymes will help break down some of these uh, nuts. Walk or move your body after a meal 
instead of sitting or lying down. Number six, breathe and be calm while eating. Now, she also says, do see a medical professional if you have extreme symptoms such as excessive nausea or if you are dehydrated. So let's continue with this when we come back. The vagus nerve, very important. One of these nerves that was discovered in a way many years ago, but many of us have never heard of it. And it would be good to know more about it as far as digestion is concerned. I'm going to take a short break. Stay with me, please, all the way. We love it. Love to have you over here. And we will be right back. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. So, we were talking about the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is very important in our digestive health as well as in our mental health. And that is something that many of us have never thought about. Uh, I know several naturopathic physicians in town will regularly talk to you about a vagus nerve. But then still, what do we do about it? How do we calm it down? And I think that Shannon McRae's uh, PhD suggestion about breathing is something that we probably do not do enough. Now, you could do it by, let's say, doing yoga or meditation. You sit quietly, you inhale, exhale. But can you actually do it when you're under stress? Can you slow down and just inhale, exhale all the way to be sure you get the, the calming effect on the stomach, on the intestines, on the duodenum, and on the heart? If you want to optimal health, uh, if you want optimal health for your body, you need to be aware of the significant role, the significant role that inflammation plays, not only in general but also in regard to the vagus nerve. So this is an important part because inflammation is truly, truly, a big problem in this country. We have an opioid crisis because people are suffering; they are in pain, and when you think about that. Where does the pain come from? You cannot say, well, I bumped my knee and now I have pain. For many people, pain is coming from some kind of long-term chronic issue that was never dealt with. And the interesting thing is that when the vagus nerve, in this case, is affected, it can really, really cause inflammatory problems. On top of that, and I, I don't want to keep pounding it on you, but I truly feel that what has happened to the food industry in the last 50 years with the continuous pressure that saturated fats are bad for you, that omega-6s are great, omega-3, omega-3s were vilified, eggs were vilified, the fact that everybody went on a no-fat, low-fat diet for so long that people felt they had to go into veganism or vegetarianism simply to avoid the fats, I'm not saying that if you do not eat, uh, if you don't eat any any animal fat, that you're going to be unhealthy. But at the same time, there are people who are not healthy when they become a vegan or a vegetarian because they go on these low-fat diets. And they say, no, 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 I eat plenty of fats. I eat lots of nuts. Well, some people have who are on a specific diet. I just read yesterday, even the, many people on the ketogenic diet deal with diarrhea and constipation a lot. So that means that you are going through a change. Does that happen to the people who have done it for over a year or two? Or is this really for people who just start the process of going on a ketogenic diet? Either way, when you start having symptoms, reevaluate. 
re-evaluate your choices, first of all, and then see if you can adjust your method. And do you, you specifically, not your neighbor, not your friends, but do you need to go radical into one direction or can you gradually move into a change in your diet? All these things have to do with what else is going on in your life. How is your stress? Are you a type A personality? Are there issues in a relationship? Are there issues at work? Are there issues uh, financially? Uh, do you Are you already suffering from certain health conditions that may need a, a slightly adjusted approach? These are all things, in my opinion, that we need to focus on. And I truly believe that when it comes to inflammation, that many times inflammation and pain is because we are we are listening too much to what the brain is telling us instead of listening to what the heart is telling us. And so there are there is plenty of research done on the effect that the mind has over matter. The mind has the brain, the coach has over the athlete. The coach is above the neck. The athlete is below the neck. We are simply pushing ourselves one foot in front of the other to do the things we need to do on a daily basis because the brain says we have to keep going. Well, the thing is that the brain doesn't get tired. It doesn't get tired. It will keep talking to you 24-7. But you, as a physical body, come to the point where you either have to take a nap or where you have to go to sleep. And when the brain keeps talking to you, you keep waking up in the middle of the night. So there are ways that we can avoid that because if we do not avoid it, if we do not listen to what our heart is telling us at times or what our gut is telling us at many times and slow down, breathe, eat correctly, etc., re-evaluate our agenda points, how busy do I really have to be and how long is this going to be? Let's say there is, there is a tragedy in the family. It will be all hands on deck. You'll find the energy to do things. If there is work to be done that needs to get finished before the season changes or because you have to stay ahead of somebody else's project, you got to get this done because that person needs to get going. These are temporary stressors. But for some people, that is every day and they pride themselves to others how busy they are. There are only 24 hours in the day and you have 43 trillion cells in your body. And in order for you to make it to 24-7, through your, your daily commute and everything else you do on a daily basis, you're going to have to feed the cells of your body. And so many people simply eat on the go, not conscious of their eating habits, and they, and they, eat, they don't even look at food labels anymore. If, it is, if, it, if it's edible and steam coming from it or it's in the ice cube tray, whatever it is, it must be edible, we can eat it. And so many of us, and I'm telling myself, there are times when I give in too, but sometimes we do it too much, and then we wonder why the body, the athlete, the part below the neck, starts to complain with aches and pains. And then the brain says, hey, no pain, no gain, let's go, 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 let's keep moving. We got lots of stuff to do, big agenda, and we create our own inflammation because we cannot shut off the mind. So I think that Shannon McRae's proposal to find a moment, <sighs> inhale, exhale, take your time, 
and just release that energy, work on that diaphragm, work on the gastroparesis, the stomach muscles, they weaken if we don't train them. And then everything that comes below that could actually get help. So inflammation, big, big issue. Dr. Jared Huston, medical doctor, discovered that this nerve, the vagus nerve, is centrally involved in an anti-inflammatory neural circuit. Mark Circus, uh, uh, S-I-R-C-U-S, a doctor of oriental medicine, writes of Huston's finding, saying he emphasizes the importance of breath, asserting that the vagus nerve is controlled with conscious breathing, yoga, and emotional and positive mental frameworks. So last week we talked about last week we talked about relationships, emotional focused, emotion focused couples therapy. Many of us are in relationships. We are in relationships with a significant other who is our partner in crime. We also have relationship with adult children, with little children, with colleagues. We have relationship with lots of people. How can we emotionally be in a relationship in a balanced way so that we find that we actually find calm and healing and work on ourselves to have a better quality of life? By thinking thoughts that feel good, and anyone can do this from the simplest thoughts to the most complex, you actually activate your vagus nerve and calm the quote unquote life and death cytokine storms. When you are calm, your breathing is deeper and more regular, and you can use breath in the midst of stressful situations in order to activate the vagus nerve at any time. Because there can be a lot of anxiety in response to changes in the world outside your control, it is important to begin the practice of using breath consciously as often as possible. Circus notes that Houston also discovered that recovery from chronic inflammatory diseases begins with the vagus nerve that regulates not only the heart rate variability, which is varying the rate at which the heart beats beat for beat, but also the entire digestive system. So again, vagus nerve is spelled V-A-G-U-S for those of you tuning in late. It runs all the way from the brain, all the way through uh, past our heart, past our pancreas, past different organ systems, through the intestines, and all the way down to our rectum area. So anytime there is stress, the vagus nerve sends the signal to the system, and we start having anxiety attacks, diarrhea bouts, we have uh, constipation, we have IBS, gas, we have pain that is not related to diet. Diet will help to, to help this, but if we can actually figure out that the digestive problem comes from and the pain comes from the inflammatory of the inflammation in the vagus nerve and that we need to relax the vagus nerve, all of a sudden things can be much better. Recovery from, so uh, Circus notes, again, I want to repeat the sentence, recovery from chronic inflammatory diseases begins with the vagus nerve that regulates not only the heart rate variability, but also the entire digestive system. Christopher Berglund writes about the positive effects of visualizing the vagus nerve 
as a wellspring of neurobiological ingredients that create mental and physical calmness. Birkeland calls the vagus nerve the commander-in-chief in regard to having grace under pressure, and I agree. It is without doubt one of the most important factors in whether your entire digestive system, as well as your cardiovascular system, functions easily and well over the long term. Amazingly, it is profoundly simple to keep your vagus nerve functioning optimally. You don't have to labor to think positive thoughts, though it is always worth the discipline to meditate or contemplate, taking time for yourself to, ex- to assess and to be calm. All you have to do to activate the vagus nerve and calm your entire body is breathe. Inhale slowly, exhale slowly, but focused and strong. Anytime you take a deep breath and slowly exhale, there is release from the vagus nerve of molecules that will lower heart rate and blood pressure. Research at HeartMath. HeartMath, it's heartmath.org, shows that when you focus on the area of your heart and on your breathing, there is a physical effect of coherence between your heart and brain. Robert Hemming, founder of ZPD Self-Synchronization, which stands for ZeroPointBreathing.com, reiterates that the most powerful and effective way to improve heart rhythm, coherence, and heart rate variability is to use breathing. He states that this is so because we breathe in our heart, excuse me, he states that this is so because as we breathe in our heart in, excuse me, (laughs) I can't even read this straight. Here we go. This is uh, Robert Hemming, founder of ZPD Self-Synchronization, which is 0.0-point-breathing.com, reiterates that the most powerful and effective way to improve heart rhythm and heart rate variability is to use breathing. He states that this is so because as we breathe in, our heart rate tends to speed up, and as we breathe out, it tends to slow down. This is called breathing-induced heart rate variability. Interestingly, this process is caused by stimulation of the vagus nerve. Now, depression, which virtually all of us experience in varying degrees from time to time, is not something to ignore if it is severe, nor is is it necessary to be treated long-term with SSRIs or other drugs. In some cases, resolving it can be much simpler. I strongly suggest readers apprise themselves of the work of Kelly Brogan, a medical doctor. Kelly Brogan, medical doctor, especially her new book, A Mind of Your Own. A Mind of Your Own. I will, however, make just one observation about the role of the vagus nerve since we are on the subject. Joseph Marcola, doctor of op, op, uh, uh, Dio, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Marcola writes, quote, in melancholic depression, bipolar disorder, and postpartum depression, white blood cells called monocytes express pro-inflammatory genes 
that provoke secretion of cytokines, which affect the immune system. Cord, unquote, cortisol sensitivity then goes down. Cortisol sensitivity then goes down, but cortisol is a stress hormone that guards against inflammation. Together, Marcola continues, these inflammatory agents transfer information to your nervous system, typically by stimulating your vagus nerve, which connects to your gut and brain. Unquote. That it is important, that is important because the, because the vagus nerve plays a central role not only in the health of digestive organs and the heart, but also in the production of serotonin, which is the feel-good hormone which is produced in the gut. So there is a difference, there is definitely a change that when, as Dr. Mercola writes, in melancholic depression, bipolar disorder, and postpartum depression, white blood cells called monocytes express pro-inflammatory genes that provoke secretion of cytokines, which are disease-causing inflammatories. Cortisol sensitivity then goes down, but cortisol is a stress hormone that that guards against inflammation. These inflammatory agents then transfer information to your nervous system, typically by stimulating your vagus nerve, which which connects your gut and your brain. So the vagus nerve picks up the sensitivities in that whole stomach, heart, gut area and sends it back to the brain. It affects the way the brain reacts, your coach. Your coach gives you new instructions that can either speed up or slow down your whole system. And if it tries to slow it down, it often comes down to uh, possible inflammatory reactions. But also when it speeds it up, it can cause inflammatory reactions. So whatever your sensitivity is, again, that's why some people, when they say, oh, I did this and this and this for my disorder, which may be perfectly, uh, may be, may have worked perfectly for them. We do not always know what their emotional and mental state is when they start a healing. So a good friend or a neighbor or family member may say, well, you tried it. I'm going to try it too, which is the way that we try things these days, because not everybody has money to go to a doctor and go on expensive medication. Plus many more people, I would say definitely who are listening to this radio program are going you know what, I want to try doing things by myself. So, of course, anecdotal information is very important. But at the same time, at the same time, you got to keep in mind that everybody is different. So trying something that somebody else is doing is a good idea. It may or may not work for you. Don't worry, there is a solution for you. Somehow the body wants to repair. We just have to give it the right tools. And when the information is coming through the vagus nerve and we're able to calm down the vagus nerve by correct breathing techniques or yoga or meditation and have that breathing relax and strengthen the, uh, the, the problem with gastroparesis and uh, help the issue with uh, diarrhea, constipation, IBS, those kind of things, or with duodenum problems, then I would say we have all the power to heal in our own hands in our own breath, in our own digestive system, in our own being. So keep that in mind. That is very important. Small intestine bacterial overgrowth and stress. Many of you have heard of the system of SIBO, 
small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? And is there a connection with stress? Let's address SIBO, which is a condition of excessive bacteria in the small intestine. It can lead to leaky gut and malabsorption of nutrients, including proteins. This condition is now challenging quite a number of people, including many of the clients of uh, Shannon McRae. Here we go. Many of them have not been given a correct diagnosis, so they aren't clear what is transpiring. When prospective clients learn of my intuitive abilities, they call me for another point of view. I'm able to see what is going on inside them. She's a medical intuitive. For those of you who tune in late, they call me for another point of view. I am able to see what is going on inside them and guide my clients back to health with nutritional consultations and energy medicine. The balance of bacteria in the small intestine is crucial for overall health. The small intestine contains beneficial, and the bowel also, contain beneficial microorganisms that protect the body from pathogenic bacteria and yeast. Pathogenic means disease-causing. So it helps the body to protect you from bacteria. Uh, disease, bacteria, and yeasts. Amy Nett, medical doctor, Nett, N-E-T-T, points out that these beneficial microorganisms help the body absorb nutrients and produce certain others, such as vitamin K and short-chain fatty acids. She also notes, quote, these bacteria help maintain the normal muscular activity of the small bowel, which creates waves that move the intestinal content, like food, through the gut. I've often said, visualize it like a wheat field in the summertime when the wind is flying kind of over it and kind of put these beautiful waves on the wheat field. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So these are interesting things to keep in mind. Um, so I want to continue with that because this is an interesting thing and I'm able to throw in a few quotes here and there of thoughts that I have. We're going to get to the uh, fecal matter uh, transplants that is becoming more and more popular by a lot of people. So you get somebody else's poop and then insert it. And there is a whole process involved, so don't get me wrong. This is uh, some of you have breakfast and I'm, I apologize. But on the other hand, this is the only time I have my show. So I might as well talk about it when I have to. Any case, thanks for being with me today. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. My name is Jacobus Holloway. We have lots more to talk about as far as inflammation and digestion is concerned. Stay with us. We'll be here till 11 o'clock and we will be right back. I thought I would like to introduce some of you to some different concepts that have been explored and are still continue to be researched. One of them is an article I'm reading about the vagus nerve, V-A-G, U.S. The vagus nerve, which starts in the brain and the brain stem, the cerebellum and the brain stem comes down and goes all the way in tentacles, so to say, that look like a root system, all the way down to the bottom part of our torso. And so that runs past the heart, past our digestive system, uh, the pancreas, etc., and then down the intestines and stomach. And so what happens is, is when we, are, when we are dealing with stress, the brain is trying to regulate it, but it's sending signals down to the organs. And for some people who then have that stress, it starts to manifest itself in physical 
organs. So that is what it is. And there are ways we can help with that or that you can help yourself with that. And that is one of the things we're talking about in this article by Dr. Shannon McRae, who is a PhD. She is also a psychologist, nutritionist, and a medical intuitive. And she has written a book called The Healing Effects of Energy Medicine, Memoirs of a Medical Intuitive, which was published in 2015. And so as we were talking about this, we're still talking about it, the the issue is here the the SIBO, the small intestine bacterial overgrowth in relation to stress. And that was where we left off. And before we jump on it, I have a caller who would like to chime in. Good morning, caller. What's your name? How can we help you? Hey, good morning, Jacobus. This is Steve-O. Hey, Steve-O. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. Thank you. Hey, Thanks for yeah. today is uh, on SIBO. You know, I, yes. very, I felt compelled to call because of the link between the vagus nerve and various digestive issues. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of times when you have problems with bacterial overgrowth, most of the medical professionals typically prescribe you an antibiotic, and of course that's going to kill beneficial bacteria as well as the harmful. So I was wondering on, on uh, your advice if you have one of those types of conditions you mentioned that SIBO is you know attached to, if you'd recommend like a prebiotic diet and maybe supplementation with more beneficial probiotics, my thinking there, not being a medical professional, but if you inoculate yourself with more beneficial bacteria, won't over time they colonize and help uh, maybe move out some of the non-beneficial bacteria and get your uh, whole digestive system in a more balanced, uh, uh, help it become more balanced over time when you're dealing with that type of problem? Yeah, that would be the, that would be the uh, ideal uh, situation. Uh, did you, Steve, are you still there? Oh, you hung up. Okay, does it help the digestive problem? Uh, absolutely. But how do we approach that? Apparently, not every uh, combination of bacteria is going to be beneficial here. There is our clinical nutritionist at Gesundheit Nutrition Center, uh, Marion Bakra, who also has her own private practice in Bozeman. She did some research and she found that there is, you cannot just use all the probiotics. There is a lot of bacteria. You need to have certain strains and there are different strains of bacteria that may actually help with SIBO. You cannot just do all your regular lactobacillus acidophilus or your sauerkraut or your uh, your yogurt and just think that you're going to solve the problem. Partly because many people already eat that way on a daily basis. So whatever they were doing, they had some issues. They started taking antibiotics. They started taking other medications, uh, maybe proton pump inhibitors, etc. That st- that have started to affect the bacteria, the bacteria in the small intestine, and so there is a product called uh, Prescript Assist. Prescript Assist. It is a product that is actually designed originally in uh, Fort Benton, Montana, and by a company called Safer Medical. Now, the interesting thing is that for a long time this was a great product and people liked it, but apparently somebody discovered in our store that some of the 
ingredients, some of the some of these strains that are made from soil, S-O-I-L, not S-O-Y, S-O-I-L, soil organisms, that they are have changed. And talking to the owner of the company, he said that some of these strains were not available anymore and he had to replace them with other strains, which he says are still great. Now, we have had people who, for different reasons, have used the prescriptocyst and they continue to use it with great success. Hasn't caused any problems. On the other hand, there are people who have used it for conditions who say it just doesn't seem to work much anymore. However, when it comes to the SIBO, the small intestine bacterial overgrowth, my suggestion is to incorporate this specific product, Prescriptocyst, and try it. It, it, We're the only health food store that sell it. It was researched, been already used in hospitals for more than 20 years, and it has shown to be one of the best approved by doctors. Uh, It is just that I created a personal connection with the owner, and he said, I want you to sell it, be able to sell it. It's not an inexpensive product, 60 capsules for $49.95, and you have 90 capsules for about $69.95. So it's it's pricey. But at the same time, if this can cause you to start feeling better and create a uh, a healing process in your small intestine, it may be worthwhile the expense. And so it's the prescriptocyst, um, probiotic and prebiotic, Stevo, that are indeed in this specific mixture. So check that out. Uh, otherwise, we it would probably be a good idea to to also digestion-wise look into eliminating temporarily your dairy products and your certain. Um, let me see here. Focus on, you know, a, a higher vegetable content would probably be a good way to go to start soothing the digestive tract. So increase vegetables, uh, maybe some lighter meats, or if you do red meat, make sure it is grass-fed, that you have a high-quality uh, protein right there. Eggs may be good, unless, of course, you have an allergy you don't know about, but careful on the sugar because sugar will grow bacteria and it will grow yeast, and these are all problems that, that occur. So if you can say, you know what, I, I don't want to spend money on a supplement, what can I do digestion-wise? I would say try for a whole week not to eat any sugar, and that includes fruits, just for a week, maybe two weeks if you can, and maybe focus more on, on steamed vegetables, primarily vegetables that grow above the ground, but you can do a nice mixture a stir fry, uh, have some chicken or pheasant or Cornish hen or fish, lighter on the proteins, more on the vegetables and create a soothing effect and maybe take a break from dairy products and, and, and you know, too many grains. And then let's see if we can soothe the intestines, soothe the digestive tract and if this can help. And if you do it in combination with prescriptocyst, you may actually see a good result for that. Okay, hopefully that uh, answered part of your question. I have, I want to continue with this. So we have the SIBO. Um, 
The balance of bacteria in the small intestine is crucial for overall health. The small intestine or bowel contain beneficial microorganisms that protect the body from pathogenic bacteria and yeast. And so the, uh, you may have realized an important connection here regarding the vagus nerve in the small intestine. When paresis is a condition of the small intestine and not just the stomach, so this is an important thing to realize, Paresis is the relaxing or the weakening of muscles. So if it's gastroparesis, then it's primarily related to the stomach muscles. But it can also move to the small intestines where there is a, a, a kind of musculature that moves food forward over the villi, the little hair that are in the small intestine. As it will, so when paresis is a condition of the small intestine and not just the stomach, the normal muscular activity of the small bowel will be adversely affected, as will the contents, including the beneficial bacteria. SIBO is seen to be an increase in the number of bacteria and or changes in the types of bacteria present. Nat, Dr. Nat states that in most patients, SIBO is not caused by a single type of bacteria, but is an overgrowth of the various types of bacteria that should normally be found in the colon. However, even though researchers observed that SIBO negatively affects the structure and functioning of the small bowel, they have not yet looked as closely at how stress, and thus the vagus nerve, play a role. How much of SIBO is caused by mild to severe paresis of the small bowel? It is my view, Dr. McRae, that the vagus nerve breathing exercise and nutritional guidelines I gave above will play a huge role in reversing SIBO. Amy Nett, Dr. Amy Nett, points out that SIBO damages the cells lining the small bowel, which is the mucosa. This can lead to leaky gut, which is a condition where the intestinal mucosa becomes permeable, allowing large protein molecules to escape into the bloodstream. This is known to have a number of potential complications, including immune reactions that cause food allergies or sensitivities, generalized inflammation, and autoimmune diseases. One of my clients, whom I will call Nancy, was diagnosed with SIBO by her naturopathic physician, and she has tried to follow a natural medicine, a natural medicine plan for months. However, when I work with her every two weeks, she says, nothing is working. I have learned that her husband has dementia and that one of her granddaughters has moved into the home with them. So her disclosure and my intuition tell me that much of Nancy's SIBO is definitely stress-related. Low stomach acid, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, prior bowel surgery with scar tissue interrupting the muscle action, diabetes 1 and 2, multiple causes of antibiotics and organ system dysfunctions are all risk factors for SIBO. So again, what are the risk factors for SIBO? Low stomach acid, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, prior bowel surgery, diabetes 1 and 2, multiple causes of antibiotics and organ system dysfunctions. However, Dr. McRae, Shannon McRae, believes from work with clients who have SIBO that the greatest cause is stress. Let's reiterate that when SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, 
is also caused or exacerbated by chronic stress that leads to muscle action impairment or paresis, it is important to do stress management and use the vagus nerve breathing exercise often. Many sort of breathe the, the, the vagus nerve breathing exercise, it really is that you can actually start breathing deeply by breathing in and exhaling more slowly and deliberately, you will achieve, you will actually activate your vagus nerve in several ways, including through the mechanism of the exhaling action on your diaphragm, which will move and stimulate the nerve and relax the muscles in your entire torso, including the digestive system. So, Doing the simple vagus nerve breathing exercise will help not only to alleviate stress, but also to calm the mind enough so that one can get to the core of what causes one's stress in the first place. When there is unmanaged and chronic stress, there is a cascade of events other than muscle paresis that can disrupt hormones such as serotonin, adversely affecting the beneficial microflora in the gut. So over here they say that the gut also produces serotonin. Serotonin is the calming hormone that is also made in the brain and it helps you to say, hey, yesterday is done, today is almost over, don't worry, and we don't know what tomorrow brings, so let's not worry about it yet. So calming the mind, calming the mind, getting into the moment and a moment of calm, not the moment of stress, of course. Breathing helps manage the stress root it out, and calm the body. There has also been shown that people with GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease, may be helped with, uh, with the vagus nerve breathing exercise. She says that the vagus nerve breathing exercise will start to give immediate relief from GERD. This condition occurs from stress on the lower esophageal spring, sphincter, which is a ring of muscle between the esophagus and the stomach. Often, health professionals associate heartburn or acid indigestion with GERD, but high hiatal hernia can also be causal. There is a reflux or a flowing back into the esophagus of some of the stomach's contents in GERD. WebMD states, the lower esophageal sphincter opens to allow food to pass into the stomach and closes to prevent food in acidic stomach juices from flowing black into the esophagus. However, when the sphincter is compromised or experiencing paresis, it will allow flow back into the esophagus. So here you have paresis of the, the abdominal sphincter, the sphincter between the esophagus and the stomach. That could be paresis inside the stomach, weakening of the muscles. There could be paresis in the sphincter, in the uh, H. pyloric uh, sphincter, and there could also be paresis in the small intestine. So, when, and some people have all of this, and they have digestive problems up the Yahoo, and so I can totally understand that that can become a big, big issue. Good morning, caller. How can I help you? Good morning. Good morning. Who's this? This is Joe. Hey, Joe. My How you goodness. Doing? How you doing, Joe? Good. Listen, the program you got on now, like I always said, the people that listen, they don't realize what you're, what you're doing uh, for society. 
So I want to get into two things. Thank you, Joe. The breathing thing. You're 100% correct. Here's the part that's missing. Okay. As you walk, as you walk, and you close your mouth and breathe in, let it out your mouth, that creates nitric oxide. If any doctor is listening to this program, they cannot tell me that I'm wrong. Okay? Yeah. That's the first thing we teach in the gym is how to breathe when the end of the round comes. Up your nose by closing your mouth deep and let it out slow. Nitric oxide. That's that's one thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. Then the other thing is this. You're trying to cure disease, and not that I'm against legal immigration, but there's an epidemic from South America of tuberculosis, whooping cough, measles, stuff that you cannot believe that they're trying to tell the hospitals and the doctors don't spread the word because it'll cause panic. Now, why is the government doing this? This is in Washington, Oregon, California, all the areas where they're getting saturated with this invasion. So these are things that you're trying to cure, natural things that can be done, diabetes and stuff like that, and handled. But these are diseases that are supposed to have been wiped out. Yeah. Even polio. They've had a couple of cases. Polio. Yeah. There was done away with. Yeah. So something has to be done to protect the people of the United States. Yeah. And this program is one of the things that people should listen to. Well, thanks, Joe. All right, my friend. Appreciate it. I wish you the best again, <laughs> because I, you're a real brother and a good human being that they're hard to find today. Oh, thank okay, you, Okay, my friend. All the best to you and Judy. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, 522-8255 is the number, 522-TALK. Uh, I really appreciate that. So the breathing exercise, you know, breathe, and there's the release of nitric oxide, as Joe was mentioning. Breathing is important, and many of us forget it. And I, I see sometimes, too, when I get in certain situations, you may, you find that your breathing becomes more shallow. And uh, I have laid in bed uh, just trying to go to sleep, and my breathing is shallow. It it will. It's very difficult to fall asleep when that is the case. So if you are able to actually creating a, um, a a momentum in knowing, recognizing it, and then taking action in slowly inhaling, deep exhaling, and idle through the nose, through the mouth, it uh, starts to work the muscle in the sphincter, the sphincter muscle, uh, the stomach muscles, and the intestinal uh, muscles. So we also see that GERD, gastroesophageal, and actually one of the things they say, stress is the main factor for the majority of individuals who experience GERD, but other factors can play a role in the weakening of the lower esophageal sphincter also. One factor that compromises function, and I know Joe would really agree with this one, one factor that compromises function is poor posture, especially for those who sit and lean forward such as with prolonged computer work. Poor posture over the long term can compromise the entire digestive system, including the gallbladder and the stomach. It is essential and rewarding for those who are uh, inactive in their work to practice yoga or tai chi 
even for just a few minutes at a time. So very interesting stuff. I hope you stay with me all the way till 11 o'clock. We're going to take a short break when we come back more to talk about the microbiome and the digestive tract. Stay tuned. As we are discussing today immune health as well as the vagus nerve and how the vagus nerve affects all different organs in our body and the mind and the body connection, so to say. But at the same time, we are obviously talking about digestive issues and the microbiome. And I, I, I just think that as we are understanding more about how our digestive system works and that there is a direct link between the body and mind and that it is not just related to diet, so we should eat healthy, we should be careful in our choices, we have to also realize that stressors in our life can have an immediate effect, immediate for some people or and or a chronic effect on other people in their digestion and in the quality of their life. So these are things we got to keep in mind. It, the answer is not always that simple. The solution can be simple once you know it, right? If you know what the light switch is, just walk over, turn the light on, you'll see you're out of the dark. And that's what we're trying to at least highlight some of that, that we let you know that uh, these are things that you can actually work on yourself. So we have a phone call. Uh, good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program. How can we help you? Good morning, Jacobus. Thank you so very much for this topic. This is Mary. Good Hi, morning to Mary. you. Yes. Um, I have a few years under my belt of dealing with the Vegas. So, yes. Um, there's, there are a couple of things I want to underscore what you're saying and then add a couple. Uh, well, number one, I think the medical community uh, by far overlooks the, uh, the role of the Vegas in, in problems, and I've seen that. Uh, throughout the years, it's um, it's just radically uh, ignored. Overlooked. Yes, yeah. ignored. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's really a lot more prevalent than uh, than the, the community acknowledges. And one of the things uh, you were talking about fruits and vegetables, uh, and if you steam them a little bit, it activates the enzymes. Yes, and then that's easier to digest. Yes, and then in Bozeman, um, one of the big problems is fluoridated water. Um, and that suppresses the uh, enzymatic actions of of all the the flora and the acids and so forth, and um, so it it really contributes to a lot of digestive problems and yes. suppresses the gastric juices. And I think, and and then also you know the additional aluminum that's added uh, here yes. in the water. Um, the other thing uh, I found when I remember is drinking a little bit of the apple cider vinegar in advance of meals, and that really seems to help the, the digestion, uh, digestion process. Yes. And um, the other thing that I know Richard went on about for endlessly is the, the vogue of alkalizing water um, and th- how that was contributing to digestive process. Uh, problems. Problems. Yes. Too much and, alkaline uh, in the water. Right. Yes. Um, and not understanding the uh, the mechanisms of the acid, the acid in the stomach, and what it does, and you know by pouring alkaline water in, and how you're countering and all that. So those are just a few things I thought maybe you could uh, continue to address. And yeah. I I'm just so impressed that you're talking about it. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I I this is. Uh, 
Uh, I have said before, Mary, that I find out that when we have about 26 different categories of products in the store and digestion, which includes enzymes and probiotics and aloe vera juice and all that stuff, mm-hmm. is usually in the top three of what people are coming in for. It doesn't surprise me because yeah. that's, that's what's fueling us to, to keep the machine running, you know? <laughs> Correct, but it also shows that people have problems. And I, I'm not saying that, oh, right. I mean, obviously right. people will get it because they try to stay away from the problems or they maintain health, but also people come in and say, I have this and this issue, and that usually involves, many times it involves digestion. It's understandable, yeah. and, and I'm so glad you're addressing it. And uh, and we know the vagus also plays in tremendously to um, uh, heart problems. And then you also, um, you know, indicated just through the 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 mechanism of it, uh, you know, that it goes all the way up to the brain. Yes. Um, and it is the largest nerve, and it has all sorts of effects through the body that, like I said, are just simply being overlooked. But thank you. I'm going to get off the phone because thank you, you're Mary. doing a great job. Because I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the call. All the best. You Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I have to be totally honest with you that I have heard about the vagus nerve for many, many years, but have never really, I know that it is involved, but until I really started reading about it lately, I understand much better the long-term and short-term effect it can have on our overall health and why so many people are suffering. I, I talked to a young lady yesterday who has all kinds of digestive problems, partly because no desire to eat. And then when they eat, they eat the comfort food. And then when the comfort food goes in and you you realize, uh, how do you, how can you explain this? Um, you're trying to really put a, 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 <laughs> a round screw through a square hole. It's difficult to do when your digestive system depends on a combination of good quality, nutritious food that contains amino acids, a little bit of carbohydrates or sugars, a little bit of, well, precious amounts of fats and then vitamins and minerals that when we jump, when we forget to eat or don't eat, don't want to eat, no desire to eat, but that we primarily start uh, eating sugars, comfort food, when we are hungry? Well, let's talk about that because this is an important part. We have, I have talked many times about the whole adrenaline dominance from Dr. Michael Platt, and the, the way I look at it is that there is a section that is above the neck. I call it the coach. We call it the brain and the section below the neck, which is your body, your lower body, or your athlete. We need to feed the athlete correctly to help the coach do what it wants to do. And I find many times that the there is a problem here. And why is that? Because when you put food in your mouth or liquids in your in your in your mouth, that has to go through a digestive process. And process means it is being processed. The whole process for you to put something in the mouth and actually make it to the cells will take about an hour and a half or more. And when people eat sugar, 
It goes in the mouth and you feel instant gratification and instant satisfaction. For a moment, you will forget that you were hungry because the sugar that goes to the brain, of that goes in the mouth, will go through the saliva to the brain very quickly. And the brain consumes more sugar than any other organ in the system. So when you are hungry and you forget to eat, you forget to nourish, to nurture your body, then the brain, your mind, which is the mental mind, it's not the spiritual mind, it's not the emotional mind, it is the mental mind. You literally give it food, it's craving, and you give it immediately, and it goes on the tongue, and it is absorbed right away, and you feel satisfied within seconds. So just giving you an indication that it is impossible for this sugar to go actually nourish the cells. You are not being nurtured here. You are simply putting a Band-Aid on a little problem. We have to become more aware that the more often we do this or the longer we do it chronically, that our system starts to fail. And where the system fails is different for each individual. So if malnourishment affects bone health, we develop osteoporosis. If it affects the joints, we call it arthritis. If it affects the pancreas, we can call it diabetes. If it affects the stomach or the intestine, we have digestive disorders that can affect the skin, and we call it dermatitis. So whatever, whatever is the weakness in your body, that is where the weakness will show up first, where the pain and where the discomfort and where the disease shows up first. So because you are ignoring it, you now start to ignore yourself as a person and you decide to go to a physician and say, what's wrong with me? Now, most physicians, like Mary says, they're simply not looking at the body-mind connection. They simply say, you have an owie, I'll give you a Band-Aid. I'll give you a candy. I'll give you a pill that the hell, I don't know if it works, but why don't we give it a try? If anybody would tell you to say that fats and oils are good for you and somebody would give you motor oil, we know consciously that that's not a smart move. It's oil, it's refined, it's clean, it looks clean, why don't we drink it? Because we all know that's not the kind of fat and oil that we should take. But how come that when we go to a doctor and the doctor says, I'm going to put you on antibiotics. You know how many different antibiotics there are? They simply put you on antibiotics or they simply put you on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication or they put you on a cholesterol medication or a blood pressure medication or a diabetic medication or a chemotherapy drug, you name it. They have something for each individual part of our body. That is how they try to treat it. But now we realize that we are a person, we are a whole person from the top of the crown to the bottom of the feet. And that contains a soul, it contains a body, a mind, and a spirit. 
And when we are out of balance between these four because of external issues that are going on that we have internalized, the body may create an imbalance. And this imbalance always, always comes out sideways. It never happens how you want it. It never happens at a time that is good for us, but it happens. So can we unhappen it? Can we do something to make sure it doesn't happen? Not always. But if you are in a chronic situation, in a chronic stressful situation, there has to come a point that you realize that if you think you're so important and that if it wasn't for you, nothing would get done. Trust me, if you die today, the world will still spin tomorrow. Life will go on. There will be daylight savings time tomorrow, with or without you. So we have to learn that we are part of the puzzle. We are not the puzzle. We are part of it. We fulfill what we need to do, and we contribute in the best way possible. And what this whole idea about the vagus nerve is all about is to show you that scientists have discovered that there is a nerve system running from the cerebellum in the brain and the brain stem all the way through the systems, the heart, the pancreas, the stomach, the intestines, the, the small, the colon, the rectum, the anus, and starts expressing stressors from the brain to any part that I just mentioned, or if one of those parts is malnourished and becomes stressed, it sends it right back up the vagus nerve to the brain. So the body knows what to do. We try to overthink it. We try to outthink it. There is a reason why these things are put together. And usually, in my opinion, even though evolution has definitely happened, there is definitely a spiritual component of this. And it is magnificent. And it is perfect. And it is on time. And it is never late. And it just works. Now, not everybody is help is living in a healthy body. Not everyone is living in a comfortable body. Not everybody is living in a in a body that has no injuries, that is not uh, handicapped. So we are who we are, and we all try to do the best we can. And that is the journey we're on. It doesn't make one better than the other. It just means that if we focus on who we are, that we are the center of our own world, that we have to take in everything that happens around in this globe around us, that everyone is dealing with influences from outside. We are the ones who can help to filter that. We are the ones who can help to filter that. And as Mary says, you know, maybe add some apple cider vinegar when you eat. I 
would not add it to water. I would take it straight. I would eat a few bites of food, take one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and leave it at that and then continue eating. Um, I, I feel that when digestion happens or indigestion happens, first thing I would do is not drink while you eat and not 45 minutes before you eat and not 45 minutes after you eat. The other thing is indeed the fluoridation of Bozeman water. Uh, this type of fluoride is not a naturally occurring fluoride. It is a synthetic form. This type of synthetic, when we drink it straight out of the faucet or when we take showers, can enter our skin, can enter our um, our digestive system and can totally mix up with the acids in the stomach and cause a a disaster, a disaster. So this is very good. Vagus nerve, body, mind, emotion, it's all important. Let me see the last of this article. And I really, uh, I, you know, I actually had a telephone call from Dr. Gary Stoner a few moments ago, and he would like to explain a little bit more about the microbiome. And he may call in, he may not call in, we'll find out. Uh, I asked, I encouraged him to call back. I do want to talk in the next hour, though, about the, the fecal matter transplantation. Uh, it's a big industry, and there is a big fight going on between the the uh, there's a fight going on between the researchers who say, "Man, this is fascinating." There are doctors who are using this and helping people with specifically uh, C. difficile, uh, Clostrophibius difficile, I think is what it's called. I'll find the correct word, and also with other digestive orders such as uh, irritable bowel syndrome. But there are also the pharmaceutical companies who are actually saying this is an issue that needs to be controlled. We need to make it a pharmaceutical uh, process. We need to be regulated with the FDA. We want the support from the FDA. And then, of course, they would patent it and get a lot of money for it for 12 years. And the prices would go up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very interesting topic. But I do believe we have a very welcome guest on the phone. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Good morning, Jacobus. How are you? Doing well, thank you. I wanted to tell you I really have enjoyed what you've uh, said so far today. Oh, thanks. Uh, those of us who who studied the vagus nerve many years ago in anatomy uh, kind of forgot how important it is, uh, the sympathetic nervous system, in, in controlling uh, so much of your of your bowel and, and so forth. But you, you brought that back, and, and uh, certainly stress is a, a major factor in, in uh, whether or not you, you get GERD and whether you have inflammatory bowel disease and, and all that. So I've really, yeah. really, enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed hearing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That. Yeah. Absolutely. Important stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very important. Yeah. And so uh, <clears throat> I, I wanted to say a little bit about the microbiome. I don't know if you want to, to talk about that. Uh, no, I do like to hear break. what you have to say. I realize we're coming close to a break, but you got about four minutes. Okay. So uh, uh, the microbiome is, is uh, studies of that have just begun in, in many respects. Uh, Gary, can you turn the radio down in the background? Sure. Please. Yeah, you bet. I'll do that right now. <laughs> okay. We have to go live over the phone. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go for it. Right. Right. So uh so the the uh microbiome studies were really 
facilitated by the by the fact that they were able to separate uh, uh, bacteria from mammalian uh, uh, RNA, and so it became possible to uh, isolate uh, bacteria from the bowel and determine what kinds of species they are. And, of course, there are a number of different uh, species in the, in the bowel that have been identified, and there are a number of species that have not yet been identified. But uh, they sort of break into bacteria that are pro-inflammatory and bacteria that are anti-inflammatory. And quite often when you treat with antibiotics and uh, so forth, you can sometimes change the ratio of anti-inflammatory to pro-inflammatory bacteria that's not helpful. Uh, you have an emergence of pro-inflammatory strains, and this can lead to a diarrhea, can lead to uh, inflammatory bowel diseases like you know, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, etc. So yeah. uh, the, the study of uh, you know, the use of probiotics and so forth to, to um, change that ratio has, has been helpful. And we now know that there are several foods that, uh, foodstuffs that actually can change the ratio favorably so that the, the number of anti-inflammatory uh, uh, bacteria to pro-inflammatory bacteria increases. So it's a, it's a good change in the ratio and that can restore, uh, restore normal, normalcy uh, yeah. to your, to your system. Right. One of the, uh, one of the conditions that really uh, uh, was important in kind of doing, turn, uh, determining this was in people that have uh, bone marrow transplants. Frequently used to treat uh, and still do treat uh, people with high levels of antibiotics because oh, their yeah. immune system is severely diminished. And uh, about 4% of, of, uh, of people with uh, bone marrow transplants actually died of diarrhea, chronic diarrhea. Oh, wow. Because it, it was associated with uh, the emergence of pro-inflammatory pro strains. Yes. So we can we can talk about uh, all of this a little bit uh, after your. Yeah, break. I would like that. Uh, I would like that. Uh, Doctor Gary Stoner is uh, with us. He just called in and he wants to explain something about the microbiome, which is very important as we talk about the fecal transplant also. But he has some. He has done research throughout the years about this he, not just he himself but colleagues so why don't we go ahead take a break uh, i'll leave dr stoner on the phone with me doing the break i can chat with him a little bit and then uh, when we come back we'll take your calls and 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 more comments but i would suggest uh, give dr stoner a chance to express what he wants to say because it's always valuable information stay tuned we will be right back We are discussing digestion, the microbiome, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, which runs all the way from the brain through our torso all the way to the bottom of our torso where our rectum and anus are, and the effect that it has in what we call the body-mind connection. Stress can affect these healthy organs, the heart, pancreas, digestive tract, stomach, duodenum, small intestine, uh, colon, and the rectum, and the anus. And vice versa, the, uh, the disorders that we have, the stressors we put upon 
these organs goes right back to the brain and can therefore not calm the brain. One of the suggestions that Dr. Shannon McRae, who is a psychologist, nutritionist, and medical medium, suggested is to help the vagus nerve by inhaling deeply, exhaling with slowly but with force, with direct, direct exhaling, not a wimpy exhale, just a good exhale. It This energy, this slowing down metabolism, actually starts to strengthen the muscles in the esophageal sphincter, in the stomach, the musculature in the stomach, which is called the gastroparesis. So gastroparesis means it is a weakening of the stomach muscle. We have it in the pyloric sphincter, which runs between the stomach and the duodenum. It can affect the duodenum. It can affect the small intestines, the musculature in the small intestines, which is also a paresis then, and all the way down. So if we cannot digest the food that we eat, then there is going to be a problem with absorption of nutrients. If we don't absorb the nutrients, our body doesn't get what it needs in order to function. We, the brain, the coach, keeps pushing the body to do what it wants it to do. The body will obey and do as best as it can from the time it wakes up till the time it goes to bed and thereby putting stress on the organs, stress on joints and bones and ligaments and tendons. And therefore, it actually weakens the overall system and we start experiencing diseases. So by eating something quick, snacking quick, can actually be for most people some type of a carbohydrate, a sugar, and it will therefore cause more inflammation in the body in the long run, which is the epidemic we are experiencing in this country today. So there you have the healthcare in a nutshell from a nut, Chuck would say. And I want to, there's two people here. There is uh, Dr. Gary Stoner. Good morning, Dr. Stoner. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I, I love to hear what you have to say, but there is another lady on the phone who has a question, and so you may be able to answer that as well. Let me get her on. Good morning, Carla. What's your name? How can we help you? Good morning. This is Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. I'm I'm pleased. I have a double prize here, Dr. Stenner and you, Jacobus. Hey, wow. that's right. <laughs> I didn't you know. You are correct. <laughs> um, so I just have a, a simple question about a habit of mine that I have incorporated, and I'm wondering if it is causing me any harm or if it is beneficial. And that is, um, I either have every morning a teaspoon or tablespoon of apple cider vinegar with warm water. I boil the kettle and then mix it with cold water, and or I squeeze lemon. Uh, so I either have uh, both together, the lemon and the apple cider vinegar, or just the lemon and uh, the warm water. So my question is, is there something wrong with combining? Is there something wrong with the temperature and and the habit in and of itself? Jacobus, you're probably in better uh, to answer that question than me. I'm not, I'm not really certain about that. You're not, not much of the apple cider vinegar guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 haven't, I haven't done any work with it. I've heard. I, I take it myself. I take a pill of that every morning. Yeah. Oh. Anecdotal, anecdotal information here, Doctor Stoner. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Carolyn, that uh, first of all, I appreciate your call in. What I would say is that uh, one of the one of the issues that we have when the body has been going through a sleep cycle and it is craving, uh, it's craving something that you wake up, you need to eat something and you don't want to wait too long. But what you are doing is slowly waking up the system. You're waking up the digestive system. Many mm-hmm. people suffer from digestive disorders that are literally caused by not having enough stomach acid, especially as we are getting older. We have a tendency to drink while we eat, to drink right before we eat, to drink right after we eat. We are diluting stomach acid. As we get older, the symptom, the, the, the portions that we eat become smaller all the time. Not all the time, but they've become relatively smaller than 30 years ago. So we don't need as many acids in the stomach. The stomach literally lays them off like a factory would lay off workers. So we okay. already don't have enough stomach acid. What they have seen is when people wake up and they have some warm water, which I think is advisable because it kind of is more warm, in this case would be body temperature. You are not shocking the body temperature. You're not shocking the body or the stomach in this case with ice cold water. You actually give it warm water so it's very soothing. It is body temperature, but you are adding some acids to it, which now start to activate the enzyme production in the stomach. So when you start eating breakfast, you probably have a better digestion. At the same time, we have seen that by taking this in a liquid, it seems to have a very quick effect, both the lemon and the apple cider vinegar on the liver. It starts activating liver enzymes, and it kind of gives the liver a little bit of a perch. It purges some toxins that it has built up overnight, and it lets it go through the through the system, out of the system, through the lymphatic system, through the kidneys, and out of the body. And so, in my opinion, what you're doing is great. It's not always the best tasting stuff early in the morning, but it is not uncomfortable. And it, uh, for many people, this could be a great solution uh, for some digestive issues that they have. It's very inexpensive. It's very easy to do. And um, I I think you're doing the right thing. Hot dog. Hot doggity. I, <laughs> I got a good grade and I barely took a test. <laughs> What's that, Carolyn? I said I got a good grade and I barely took a test. <laughs> That's right. You got a great grade. And it's, uh, now, Dr. Stone, are you taking also that? Would you agree with the answer or was there something no, you've I, read differently? Uh, no, it's it's not. And I, no, it's a very good answer. And I... I I learned a lot from that. I always learn a lot from you. (laughs) (laughs) You're way too generous. uh, Well, thanks, Alan. Knowledge of nutrition uh, certainly exceeds mine. All right. Was there another question, Carolyn? No, just thank you so much for what you do. And uh, between you and Dr. Stoner, I've learned so much, and I feel healthier all the time. Yeah, isn't that something? I appreciate that. So I'm going to go do some yoga now. Good. All the best (laughs) to you. Thanks for the call. Okay, take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Gary Stoner, uh, who, is, who called in, has some suggestions for us about the microbiome, would like to educate us. He has done uh, more than 45 years of clinical research, uh, worked a lot in Ohio, and uh, has been uh, grew up in Montana, is back in Montana, but still travels the world at his uh, very young, ripe old age. But uh, sorry, <laughs> that I had to <laughs> had to say that. But you are just a dynamo. I wish that I that I am that good at at your age 
and have still that sharp in the mind that you are constantly are uh, you you just continue to inspire people with your knowledge and with your continuous research it's just fascinating to witness that and and I'm glad I met you and I'm glad you've been a guest on my radio show and I I really hope you live a very long and prosperous life. Well, thank you so much, Jacobus. I I uh, I try to I try to follow some of the basic edicts of health and and uh, p- part of it, of course, is is going to the gym with you. Although <laughs> yeah. I can't nearly, I I cannot do anything like you can do at the gym. I, at least I'm there, and I I really think that's part of the important part of being healthy. Well, I, I want to say something about that because everybody goes at their own pace and everybody goes at the way they push themselves. But I have talked to you and you have had some uh, some uh, physical challenges over the years. And so I think that many people at that point will call it quits. You say, no, I am. I need to use what I have and uh, uh, issues or not, I, I want to do the best I can with what I have. And I think that is commendable. I have I have knee issues and ankle and heel issues, uh, and and I try to do the best I can with what I have. Uh, when I lay on the bench and do the bench press, it doesn't hurt my heels. So that is something that I can work on. <laughs> well, all I can say if if if, if you're uh, if your people that are listening on this radio could go to the gym and watch you in action, uh, they would understand how how much. Uh, how much power you really have. I mean, oh, thank it's, you. It's very impressive. He he goes there uh, an hour <laughs> earlier, or, or at least a half hour. Yeah, earlier. about half hour, forty five minutes. Than his, than his other than the other folks that are in the same training group, and he stays usually fifteen twenty minutes longer than they do. And I, when they're finished, they're dead tired. So this man is in, indefatigable. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. I guess practice, 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 huh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you you are just a, a gem when it comes to understanding research and uh, doing work. And, and I know that we have talked with you about uh, black raspberry extracts, which is just one of the things that you're working with, you have worked with over the years. But you have seen success with the black raspberries on the microbiome, on stomach acid, on digestion. And I would love for you to explain that to us, please. Yeah, we, we uh, our studies... Uh, as, as been done mainly in rodents, but we have a number of anecdotal evidence also from from folks who have taken our black raspberry powder in humans. And uh, one thing, as I mentioned earlier, is that it's very important to have a, a, a good ratio between anti- and pro-inflammatory bacteria in the bowel, because if there are too many pro-inflammatory bacteria relative to anti- it has a major effect on uh, causing inflammation. It has a major effect on your immune system. So you want you want to try to keep that ratio. Uh, I see positive on the anti-inflammatory bacteria side. Okay. And we've we found in rodents that when we uh, uh, treat them with uh, uh, with a carcinogen or just in under in, under normal circumstances, if we uh, treat them with black raspberry powder. Uh, we uh, we change the ratio of anti to prone, uh, pro-inflammatory bacteria uh, quite dramatically. So the uh, the other the other effect that has, has been shown is that in in uh, both uh, in mice that are hyperglycemic, yeah, or in obese mice that have high uh, levels of cholesterol that the uh, extracts of black raspberries actually reduce 
uh, blood sugar and they reduce blood cholesterol. Yeah. And part of the way that they do this is because they change or increase the uh, ratio of anti-inflammatory bacteria to pro-inflammatory bacteria in the bowel. Yeah. And uh, that's associated with the production of some short-chain fatty acids that are known to influence uh, uh, glucose metabolism and probably also affect uh, fatty acid metabolism. And so uh, uh, I I think that uh, we've had a number of folks with anti-inflammatory and bowel disease, usually ulcerative colitis. Yeah. And we've had also a number of people who, about 32 have reported back to us that have uh, GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux, that they that taking the powder has helped them. And in some cases, they've been able to take the powder and, and, and stop taking Nexium, which is yeah. pretty dramatic. That is dramatic, I, yeah. I had, I had inflammatory bowel, uh, I had GERD. And it led ultimately to a pre-malignant lesion called Barrett's esophagus. Yes. And I took Nexium for about five years in conjunction with the berry powder, and the and Barrett's went away. That mm-hmm. that's a pre-malignant lesion that go can go into uh, a uh, type of tumor called uh, esophageal adenocarcinoma, which has a very poor prognosis. It's usually it's usually diagnosed uh, too late. It's already metastasized at the time of diagnosis, and so the survival rate is somewhere in the range of 12% to five-year survival. So wow. Yeah, I, okay. uh-huh. I, I thought that that was, uh, I was very happy to see that lesion go away. Uh, I uh, can't, I don't know uh, what contribution of to that was related to Nexium, what contribution was related to the berry powder, but at least we have, we have, had a number of people with GERD that seemed to be helped by taking black raspberry powder. Now, now how, how much did he take? Uh, I, I took uh, equivalent about uh, 25 grams a day. So I took a tablespoon in the morning in in water or in, I, I put it on uh, cereal. Okay. Or I put it uh, uh, in uh, green tea. Okay. Because I want to take advantage of the catechins and tea plus the anthocyanins in the berries. Yes. Which are the most prevalent antioxidants there. Yeah. And and see uh, you know and and see if that would be helpful. And you can also put it in smoothies. Yeah. Uh, I make a smoothie uh, here at, at my home. Yeah. Made of an apple, a, a, a banana, and a pear, and some honey. And then I put in a large amount, of, usually a, a teeping tablespoon of black raspberry powder, and put in some water. Yeah. And I uh, grind it up and and put it in jars and freeze it. Oh. And then I I usually uh, take a half a jar of that every day. And uh-huh. I, I, so I get the combination of the good things that are present in those fruits plus the powder itself, and I hope that that uh, has a good effect on me. Yeah. We do know that it reduces uh, parameters of oxidative stress. So this is stress due to the uh, oxidants that are produced in normal you metabolism. Said, you said primary oxidative stress? Is that what you called it? No. Uh, 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 yeah, of, of oxidative stress. It reduces parameters. 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 Yeah. Thank you. I things, didn't hear that. Things like, mm-hmm. uh, so we can show that there's a reduction in a 
a DNA addict in urine that's caused by oxidative radicals, like yeah. singlet oxygen, hydroxide ion, hydrogen peroxide, etc. And we also find a uh, change in the amount of isoprostanes in urine, all of which suggests that we've reduced oxidative damage with with this. And and the, uh, it doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So in, in the study we did in patients with Barrett's esophagus, we treated with uh, black raspberry powder for six months, and some of them we found uh, reduction in parameters of oxidative stress, and some we didn't. Yeah. So uh, there was there was a variation among among humans, but uh, the doses uh, uh, that we gave were fairly high in that study. But we then did a, a later study using lower doses, which would be equivalent about two two teaspoons of okay. powder. Okay. Okay. So we still saw some reduction in uh, 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 f- uh, factors in the urine that would be associated with. Uh, oxidative stress. Okay, okay. And yeah. j- just to let listeners know, a tablespoon is three teaspoons. So if Dr. Stoner is talking about a heaping tablespoon, he probably is talking about four teaspoons. So if you do two teaspoons, that was one of the research. Now, how long was a study like that uh, conducted? That was uh, for six months. Six months, okay. We've done uh, some studies for six months. We did a study in, in uh, patients that had... Uh, polyps in their rectum called the, the patients who inherit a defect in a certain gene that leads to production of large number of polyps in their in their colon called okay. familiar adenomatous polyposis. Most of these folks by the time they're 40 years of age have had their colons removed surgically huh. because uh, uh, otherwise they would develop colon cancer. They develop literally thousands of can develop, but literally thousands of polyps in their colon. I see. Uh, and so after that's removed, uh, y- y- there's still a little bit of residual rectum. It's re- difficult to remove surgically, and uh, that still is at risk for polyp development. Yeah. And uh, so clinically, you have to go and remove those polyps. Uh, at some point. To, yeah, usually on a yearly basis. Yeah. And it's not, not a pleasant procedure, as you might expect. Yes. Uh, we found that if we used a, uh, a, a preparation H-type black raspberry powder, so uh, we made uh, eight suppositories, yeah. like preparation H, that were made of black raspberry powder, inserted that in the, in the rectum over a period of, of nine months, we could regress about 40% of those polyps. So you do it for nine months? Nine months. So the that that seems like a very long time to see a forty percent increase. Forty uh, percent decrease. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, right, decrease. Yeah. But it's still, I'm sure, more pleasant than uh, having surgically uh, removed the uh, the polyps. Because every time people do have surgery, they do go into your body and they start cutting, and they may cut something off that they don't want to cut off. Yeah, that, that that's done pretty well, actually, because the polyps are pretty obvious, but nevertheless, uh, uh, the the FDA and, and this particular cohort of patients, and there are about 25,000 people in the U.S. that have this high-risk polyp development. Yeah. Uh, the FDA approved Celebrex, you know, the uh, yeah, anti-inflammatory. anti-inflammatory drug, uh, 
in the same uh, from a study done the very same cohort of patients that we tried our, our black raspberry powder, Celebrex in six months of treatment gave a 28% reduction in polyps. So the FDA approved that for treatment in these in these people. How many percent? Sorry, how much percent was that? 28%. That was it. And that, and, and what kind of time period? In six months. Six months. Wow. So we treated with nine months. We got a 40% uh, oh. reduction. So, you know, Celebrex can be associated with uh, and non-steroidals with certain cardiovascular problems. So we felt that it might be safer. To Absolutely. Take uh, I know we're coming close to uh, to the hour here, but as a caller who would like to ask a quick question, please call her. Good morning to you. What's your name? How can we help you? Good morning. It's Laura. Hey, I Laura. I, was, I thought this was a repeat program. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I'm, I want to find out where to get the powder. You want to find out where we get the powder? Actually, I sell the powder at the Gesundheit Nutrition Center, Perfect. and Dr. Stoner has it in Manhattan. So when he, uh, if when he comes to town, he can always drop off more. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for the call. Bye bye. All right, uh, Gary. I, uh, if you don't mind, uh, was there anything else you need to say? Because I do want to hit the uh, the, the 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 fecal matter uh, replant. In yep. this last okay. half hour. Is that okay? Absolutely. I'm very interested in that. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for uh, for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks always for your education. I wish you a good weekend. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right, folks. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Good morning to you. I hope you're doing well. Uh, it's been an interesting Gesundheit with Jacobus. Today, talking about digestive health, I am really grateful that Dr. Stoner called in, Gary Stoner, to explain more about the microbiome and some of the research that he has done with black raspberry extract. 45 years of research on cancer, started out with lung cancer, and uh, he has done uh, so much work uh, in, in the United States and abroad uh, as a colleague, as an instructor, as a teacher to uh, many and, and he is still, as he is in his late 70s, he is still going strong, enjoying himself, uh, loving this research that is out there. So I appreciate he called in. And we had uh, we had Caroline call in uh, to take uh, apple cider vinegar. And we got a call from, uh, from uh, Joe Diaz. He called up and he said, I am a little bit concerned about drinking warm water. It's not, it's better to take cool water, to not drink ice cold water, but cold water, cool water. Uh, to do that, and he also suggested not to mix the lemon or lime juice with the apple cider vinegar because of the potential gamma chemical explosion that you get. So that is something to keep in mind as well. And uh, so that is something, you know, experiment with that. I would definitely do either the apple cider vinegar or the lemon juice, not the two of them. Okay, we got a lot still to talk about, but we have a caller who would like to chime in. Good morning to you. What is your name? How can we help you? Hey, Jacobus, it's Carol. How hey, are Carol, you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you. Good morning. So listen, I wanted to just remind your audience, you and I have talked about this before, but you can't replace your gut bacteria. You have to feed your own gut bacteria. And that's one of the mysteries of the probiotic world is that most companies say they're replacing your gut bacteria, which you can't do. Your gut bacteria is so unique to you. It's yes. Like Fingerprint. They're actually using it now in forensics. So, yeah, that that's a fair enough point. You're absolutely right. What is ours is ours. It's unique. 
very unique. It's like your it's as unique as your fingerprint. Yes. And of course, you know the product that I love that I that I worked with for many many years is Dr. O'Hara's, which is really the only product that you carry that feeds your gut bacteria. That's a good point, and I I think that is another one that we should include in the whole SIBO discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. And as always, you're doing a great show. We love you. And <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll see you soon, dear. Okie dokie, Carol. Bye bye. I want to want to say something over here. There is uh, so <laughs> there's something, you know. The reason why I play "Shake It Up" uh, by the Cars is because there is this new research that's been actually been going on for for uh, well within the last five years or so primarily, and it has to do with fecal transplants. So some of you may not know what that means, but you actually would get the the ingredients from somebody else's bowel and have them transplanted into your intestines. And there is great research done on this, successful, with uh, people in um, uh, uh, Clostrophibium difficile, or C. diff. And this is something, uh, Clostridiodites, diodites, dioites difficile, Clostridiodites difficile, Clostridiodites, (laughs) dioites, it's a complicated word. So that's why they are very smart. Some people said, why don't we just call it C period difficile or C diff. And so let me tell you what's going on. There is a new war raging. This was an article actually published on uh, March the 3rd of this year in the New York Times. There is a new war raging in healthcare with hundreds of millions of dollars at stake and thousands of lives in the balance. The battle pitting drug companies against doctors and patient advocates is being fought over the unlikeliest of substances, human excrement. And and again, talking about that song, there are actually people, I get to this, who were waiting for a transplant to help with the uh, colon problem, the C. diff, which is from using too many antibiotics in your life and just causing all kinds of problems. And people are literally just donating their poop and they put it in the blender and sh- make a shake out of it. And uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's not it's not the most pleasant to think about, but I'm sure they shake it up and then they dry it and then they uh, they use it either in enema bags or in pill form. Uh, different ways to go. And 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 even in that method, that is not going through the whole rigorous process, has seen tremendous results in people. About seventy percent success rate. So that's that's pretty dang good. But there are actually much cleaner methods to do this and so i want to explain this a little bit to you to see if i can tickle your interest uh, so to say i'm sure i already got you with poop but now maybe you are interested in what's going on the clash is over the future of fecal microbiota transplants or fmt which is a revolutionary treatment that has proved remarkably effective in treating c diff which is a debilitating bacterial infection that strikes 500,000 Americans a year and it kills 30,000. The therapy transfers fecal matter from healthy donors into the bowels of ailing patients, restoring the beneficial works of the community of gut microbes that have been decimated by antibiotics. Scientists see potential for for using these organisms to treat diseases from diabetes to cancer. At the heart of the controversy is the question of classification. 
are the fecal microbiota, just not the same as the microbiotics, it is microbiota that cure C. diff. Are they a drug or are they more akin to organs, tissues, and blood products that are transferred from a healthy to treat the sick? The answer will determine how the FDA regulates the procedure, how much it will cost, and who gets the profits. In 2013, the FDA announced a draft decision to regulate the therapy as a new drug, but said it would continue to study to study the matter before reaching a final decision, which is now expected to happen soon. Critics say that the approach is based on outdated science and could lead to increased costs for patients, most of whom currently rely on a nonprofit stool bank in Cambridge. At stake, some researchers say, is the future of pioneering therapies that harness the human microbiome, the trillions of organisms that colonize the body and that are increasingly seen as critical for healthy brain development and immune functions. So brain development. So if you sometimes hear the, 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 the proverb, uh, the S-H-I-T for brains, you know exactly what we're talking about. So what is going on? There's really a lot going on with this, and 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 the 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 industry is growing. There are several companies now who are doing it. They are under investigation. They they actually get they they pay people money to donate a stool at least three times a week, and then they um if you can every day, and that is taken into this laboratory. It's completely cleaned up. Uh, all the extracts are taken out that people need. It's dried. It's freeze-dried. Um, um, and then it is either made in a in a capsule or they can put it in an enema bag. And I think there was another method that they use. So there is actually Dr. Alexander Koratz, a gastroenterologist at the University of Minnesota, said he feared the FDA was favoring the interest of what he calls the poop drug cartel, a group of companies seeking approval for new ways to deliver the active ingredients in transplanted feces. Three of the companies, Rebiotics, Ceres Therapeutics, and Vedanta Biosciences, have raised tens of millions of dollars from investors, and they recently formed an association to advance their interests with the FDA. An obscene amount of money is being thrown around by companies trying to profit off of what nature made, said Dr. Koritz. I don't think there are clear villains here. Koritz, by the way, Dr. Alexander Koritz, is K-H-O-R-U-T-S. K-H-O-R-U-T-S. He says, I don't think there are clear villains here, but I worry that the regulators are not caught up on the latest science and that the interests of investors may be exceeding those of patients. Pharmaceutical executives and some doctors argue that the drug model will help ensure the efficacy and long-term safety of a therapy whose mechanics remain poorly understood. Well, so this is what the pharmaceutical companies say. But what may happen is actually that it uh, it, it could cause a pharmaceutical company to get a patent. The patent will then be good for 12 years, so nobody else can actually continue the research because the patent is already uh, is already going on. And and let me say it this way, it will affect the research dollars because companies who, who get money, 
They hope to get that money to do research, to get a product out ASAP. That doesn't want to be a long-term process. The first principle of medicine is to do no harm. And at the moment, we don't have a long-term track record of fecal matter uh, microbiote transfer uh, uh, adverse effects, says Dr. Sahil Khanna, which is an associate professor of gastroenterology at the Mayo Clinic, who has conducted industry-funded clinical trials on fecal transplants. We also need to move away from transferring poo from one person to another. And that is uh, uh, truly true. Um, People literally just bring their bags over and say, well, guess what I did this morning? According to the analytical firm Global Data, the market for drug-based treatments for C. diff is expected to reach $1.7 billion by 2026, which would be up from $630 million in 2016. So that's almost tripling, tripling what is happening. The growth is tied to soaring rates of C. diff, which parallel the overuse of antibiotics, leaving patients more vulnerable to the infection. So let me ask you then, many of you, yourself, you know it, are we too quickly accepting antibiotics? You go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, I just give you an antibiotic cure. You are going to put something in your body that will disrupt the microbiome in your small intestine and in your digestive tract in general. Why? Why do you do all that in order to fight some kind of an infection? So if you can, and I'm not saying that it is good for everybody, there are people who will need an antibiotics cure because there is something going on and it doesn't work any other way. You just go after it. So I understand that. But there are many people who simply go on antibiotics because they have a little cold or a sneeze or they have a little bit of an owie and they go straight on antibiotics. You could look into things that are also antibacterial, such as the actually the black raspberry powder, uh, also sovereign silver, oil of oregano, um, uh, olive leaf extract, the uh, uh, grapefruit seed extract. These all can help with many types of infections. They're not very expensive, and they have only benefits to the body. So scientists accept the fact that gut health is important because the scientists are now realizing that there is money to be made in the gut health. Mark Smith is a microbiologist at MIT. He was halfway through his pitch with a group of pharmaceutical executives trying to bring them the idea of this transplant, the fecal matter transplant. And back in 2012, uh, one of the the executives, the pharmaceutical executives, interrupted to ask if the meeting was maybe a prank. He said, I can't believe you wasted my idea with, I don't, I can't believe you wasted my time with this crazy idea, the man said, Dr. Smith later recalled. That was in 2012. Later that year, he helped found Open Biome, the nonprofit st- stool bank that now supplies most of the fecal matter for transplants in the United States. Three years ago, he started his own drug company, Finch Therapeutics, which has raised $77 million. Over the past decade, tens of thousands of Americans with C. difficile have been cured through fecal transplants, often with a single dose that can bring patients back from the brink of death. The treatment has more than an 80% success rate, which is more than you can say for many other therapies. 
According to several studies, and many patients feel better within hours after receiving the procedure, which is usually administered through colonoscopy or capsules containing desiccated fecal matter, so dried or dehydrated fecal matter. Now, the FDA has not formally approved the therapy, but it has suspended enforcement of its rules for patients who have failed on antibiotics, while it figures out the best way to regulate a regimen that, until recently, was sometimes performed at home by desperate patients using an enema, saline, and a relative's stool. Ms. Dove, the head of the C. diff patients group, credits her own recovery from the disease to a homemade concoction her husband created with his own stool in the kitchen blender. So there you go. There's where my point came. So I don't know if somebody used it the next time for a delicious fruit shake. Maybe they had a second blender. I probably would add a second blender. I don't know about you. I've had to drink my urine once. No, actually for a week. I did that. I collected it, first urine in the morning, and then drink it. And uh, I may have told you this story. This was uh, my, I had eczema on my hands and it wouldn't go away. And my, my father-in-law, a farmer, and they know everything, they said, he said, well, it's real simple. Just drink your first urine in the morning. And I said, yeah, right. He said, no, just go ahead and do it. Just collect it, drink it. And I said, no way. But you know how some people are. We just go in a secret corner and we collect the urine and drink it. And I did. And the eczema went away. And then I told him I did it. And he, <laughs> he had these big eyes. He looked at me. He didn't know I was ever going to do that. But uh, some people are kind of crazy. And then I saw Kevin Costner do it in Waterworld. But he used a uh, filter, I think. I went straight, straight from the tap so to say. Anyway, the FDA declined to comment for the article until the agency finalizes its decision. Many insurance companies will not cover the therapy. The, cover, the, the therapy will cost about uh, $1,600. Now, people who uh, bring their uh, fecal matter to the, the bowel, to the uh, to the uh, the, the bank, so the, the fecal bank, right? They, they make about 40 bucks for a serving, for a, uh, for a donation. So you can actually make a little bit of money on it, which is also very nice. Now, before you jump on, uh, you grab the phone and call uh, a uh, fecal bank to donate your, your excrement, by all means, let me explain to you. Uh, there was another article that was in here, and it says, do you have the right stuff to be a stool donor? That was published in June 5, 2018, also in the New York Times, and it was by Roni Rabin, uh, wrote this article. So, yes, wanted fecal matter from healthy adults with a regular constitution and a good heart. Screening is rigorous. Reimbursement is modest, but can add up for those willing to make daily donations of waste that would otherwise be flushed away. Fecal transplants are being used increasingly to treat Clostridium difficile, C. diff, in often intractable and debilitating bacterial infection. The potential for expanding the therapeutic applications of fecal transplants sent Canadian researchers on a quest 
to pinpoint what precisely motivates stool donors and how they might recruit more volunteers. So for their study, 802 people in the United States, Canada, and England completed an online survey that assessed their attitudes about becoming stool donors. Respondents were, not surprisingly, put off by the unpleasantness that would be involved in collecting stool samples. And most said the time commitment that would be required would be a deterrent. Most centers required deposits at least three times a week. But nearly half said the desire to help others was a powerful incentive. You know, it's really interesting. One of those donations of poop can actually help five patients. So you are really helping people if if more than 500,000 Americans have this, and I think there are 16 or 36,000 who die every year because of C. diff, uh, this is definitely something to keep in mind. Um, uh, nearly half said the desire to help others was a powerful incentive, and one-third said the modest financial compensations, about 30 to 40 bucks, would add to their willingness overall. More than half the participants who took the time to respond to the 32 survey questions scored high on their willingness to become stool donors. The researchers from the University of Alberta and Edmonton, Canada, presented their work in Washington on, on doing Digestive Disease Week in 2018, one of the largest international gatherings of physicians and researchers in the fields of gastroenterology, endoscopy, gastrointestinal surgery, and liver disease. Just telling people how much it helps patients when they receive the transplants could make them even more motivated, said Brianna McSweeney, a medical student at the University of Alberta who was the study's lead author. Now, um, a, a published study in the New England Journal of Medicine back in June of, because this article was written when? In June of... June 5, 2018. So in that week, the JAMA, the New England Journal of Medicine, found that fecal transplants were as effective as antibiotics as a first line of treatment for the infections, which kill about some 14,000 people in the United States each year, so 14,000. Research are also exploring the use of fecal transplants for other bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis and a range of other conditions. Now, what do you need to do what do we need to do is, um, oh, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, we're always actively looking for more and more donors, said Dr. Karen Wong, a co-author on the study. The stool bank at the University of Alberta often runs low, she said, and sometimes I have to call the donor when we want to do a procedure and ask them to make a donation the day before so we have the stool ready. Now, uh Becoming a stool donor is not easy. Volunteers who apply to be a stool donor at Open Biome, which is the nonprofit stool bank based in Boston, go through an intensive screening process. So first, they fill out an online health questionnaire. So it has about 32 questions. Then, based on the answers, they may or may not be invited in for an hour-long clinical interview. That is step two, which includes questions about their current health status, their health history, their family history, and if they pass the interview, their blood and stool undergo extensive testing to screen for pathogens and infectious diseases. So only about 3% make it through a screening process. Can you imagine that? Only about 3%. 
So anyone with allergies or asthma, a family history of colon cancer, autoimmune diseases or infectious diseases, or a high body mass index is usually disqualified. If you traveled to certain regions of the world or recently got a tattoo or recently changed sexual partners, that might exclude you or put you on hold for a few months. We count on people to be honest. So I just want you to know before you call these people and want to become a fecal donor, uh, which of course is phenomenal. When you think about this, that we are able to do this, I tell you what, I'll use a Ziploc bag, but I probably will not be able to uh, to qualify for a combination of reasons, uh, primarily because I deal with my own thyroid issue, so they probably would disqualify me. But in any case, uh, fecal transplantations is probably more abundantly on the horizon. Well, folks, uh, we are coming to the end of the hour. I really appreciate you listening today. I hope you will tune in again. We'll see if we can continue this conversation with you. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. And we'll talk to you again next week. See you then.